Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. He who began this good work will complete it. Do you believe that? You have a card that uh, we put in the chairs. And uh, this is a little bit different sermon from what I've ever preached. I started really compiling this, and, and the more I did, the more it seemed like it was, it was a teaching, but it was also preaching. But then I realized, no, this needs to be something that is like a, a roadmap, a toolkit. Because I can promise you one of two things. Either you are in the waiting right now for something from God, If you're not, you're going to (laughs) be. It's just part of our walk, right? I had a dad joke about the waiting that I'm not going to do. It's just not the time. But if you'll see me afterwards, if you'll wait, I'll I'll tell you. It's kind of corny, which is the best kind of dad jokes. No one ever said waiting is easy, right? And I hate to admit, how many impatient people do we have? You've just been through the, okay. I hate to admit this, for those of you who assumed I was perfect, I am not behind the wheel of a car. I'm that guy. Now, I don't cut you off and I don't blow the horn. I'm not mean, but I'm always scheming. You know, if it's a traffic jam, I have this system of if we have an exit coming, I'm going to get in these lanes because there are other cars leaving and I can go faster and pass that guy in the Buick. But then when I get under the bridge, I've got to get back over because you have all those people coming in on that side. Well, that's me. It's always, even at, even at Kroger, I come up and I see four people in several lines and I'm, okay, I'm choosing that line. That one's going to go faster. And then the whole time, I'm scoping out the people I would have been behind. And if they get finished first, it's just, it's just part of who I am working on. it. But you know, with technology, the way that we are able to right now, I mean, I could You could mention a book. This happened several weeks ago. A friend mentioned two books. I pulled out my phone while we were talking. I ordered them from Amazon. And I was slightly upset that they were coming on Tuesday rather than Monday. That's the pace that we've become accustomed to, right? But God is God. And his timing doesn't have to speed up to our current timing, right? How many of you have waited for God and he didn't move as fast as you wanted him to. Is that a common theme that we have? Waiting is an important part of our development. Like with children, we have to teach them you can't have that candy right now. Now to them, that's no. That's, That's in their heart, they're kicking and screaming. He said, I can never ever have a piece of candy again as long as I live. That's not what you said. No and not yet are two different things. We have to learn that, right? We have a culture that we have built that says delayed gratification is not something to do. I want it and I want it now. It's thrown us into massive debt. All kinds of problems we have in our society come from that impatience to plan, to save, to project over the future of what you want to do and then wait for it. But I would dare say that many of you here today are in the waiting. You're waiting for healing in your body or for restoration in a relationship, 
for God to open a door, for God to give you closure on another door, for direction or clarification in 2020. You may have come here today just aching in the waiting because you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it seems like God's not listening, right? All you've gotten is silence. And we know that God could have answered it instantly. We know he's able, but sometimes his timing is just not our timing. And that's where we have to stop and say, God is God and I am not. So I'm asking two big questions today and and that's on the cards. You can look at them, you can add notes. Mostly that is for, I really felt like, even take some to, to someone that might be in the waiting. Two important parts of this today. The first is what do I need to remember when I'm in the waiting? There are five things. First of all, remember there's natural delay between planting and harvesting. And to me, you might say, well, duh. We're in Seeds Church, we're in a barn. I've known a few farmers through the years. Why are you saying something so obvious? But do we do that in our faith? We realize that harvesting and planting, you know, that's a part of natural seasons of the year. But do we do that with our faith? Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 5 says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to scatter and a time to gather. Seasons in our lives. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither he nor I are going to take the credit, but it was God in his plan and his will who gave the growth. We have to learn to understand this, that even in our prayer, even in our anxiety to receive from God, that we might just have to wait. I remember when my son was maybe four or five and he bit into an apple too far and it was the first time he discovered, first that it's kind of bitter in the core, and he he saw these seeds in there and he's like, Dad, what are these? Teachable moment, right? So I go outside, and I'm like, well, these are apple seeds. And so we dug a little hole, put them down in there, and poured some water on it. Great, you know, father-son moment. And I go back in the house. And I happen to look out the window about 10 minutes later, and here's my son. (laughs) He's waiting on a tree. (laughs) I appreciate his childlike faith, but he had not begun to understand patience. That's something that we have to do. So the main point of this first one is we know God can do things instantly, but sometime he's growing us before he settles the problem. Secondly, remember there's an unseen battle going on. How many of you can testify that? Spiritual warfare. It is real, friends. We don't see it, we don't often feel it, and we can't understand it, but there is an enemy in this world who for a season is allowed to be here and he thinks He runs the show. And so we have angels against demons, God against the devil, and it is a battle that we're caught in the middle of. Satan hates us. He wants to take us down. He wants to do everything he can in every way he can 
to bring us down. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Just be aware of this. Don't be naive and don't be caught off guard. In the waiting, we can be very vulnerable. We are open to compromise. You know, as humans, if we can't control it, then that makes us anxious, right? And so in the waiting, when we've put ourselves out there and said, God, I'm trusting for this answer. I'm trusting for this direction. It's very easy for the enemy to slip in. And this is something that uh, actually Jody confirmed right before. I hadn't planned to add this to the sermon, but I will now. Isolation really gives the enemy a chance to affect you in ways that if you don't let yourself get picked off in isolation, if you'll stay in the body and move forward, and I'm, I'm preaching way down my sermon here, but don't let yourself get isolated. Don't be, don't be naive. Protect your heart. The devil does have some power. Now, now, through God, we have way more power than the enemy. But if I try to take the enemy on by myself, or I'm not protecting my heart, then I'm open. So no one not yet, even as grown-ups, we've got to know that difference. The third thing, remember God is preparing you for his version of blessing. How many of you have a pretty good idea of who you are and what you'd like to be doing? We all do, right? We kind of think, you know, that's, that's what we think. What would be best for me? But believe me when I say God wants even more for you than you do. I had to learn this kind of the hard way. I've always been one of those types. My dad taught me, you know, just efficiency in motion. If you have a job to do, you know, I've seen people, they'll do this over here and that connects to this and they'll walk over here connected to that and go do the next one. That drives Dale up the wall. It drives me up a wall. We're efficient. You know, plan your work, get it all in front of you. Plan your work and work your plan, right Dale? There you have it. So when I was first called to ministry, and I felt like I had these things that God said, do this and do that. Mr. Discipline organized for the kingdom. My plan was to go in a straight line as fast as I could, a beeline. And over and over again, the Lord had to say to me, the fastest and quickest way, straightest line, the efficiency of, of your thinking, that has no bearing on me. If I wanna take you over here and teach you a lesson, and then take you over here and teach you another lesson, you're not to tell me what is most efficient and therefore what is best for you. First Peter 1, 6, 7 says, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These troubles test your faith to show that it is strong and pure, just as fire tests the purified gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. There is a lesson to be found in the waiting. Keep walking, keep moving forward. Romans 8, 24 through 28 in the message says, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? 
But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit knows what we want better than we do. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know that verse. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Follow his direction. We understand such little compared to the God of the universe. We must not go by our vision, but trust his vision. Number four, I need to remember that I'm in good company when I'm waiting on God. Hebrews 11.2 says, people who lived in the past became famous because of their faith. Now, I don't think I won't ever be famous for the trials and tribulations that I survived, right? But we have this record. Millions of saints before have persevered. And each one of them, we can be inspired by this, by knowing the stories, each one of them had to wait. I love some of the stories. You know the story of Hannah? She was heartbroken. She had this rival who seemed to have everything and Hannah just wanted a child and couldn't and couldn't. And she prayed so earnestly. And God gave her a promise, right? He fulfilled that promise and she became the mother of Samuel. In Genesis 39, you wanna talk about a rough patch? This guy named Joseph. Okay, God gave him early on, said you will be a leader, you will be a ruler. And he had this really fancy rainbow coat. And his brothers did not care for that coat. And he might have flaunted it, you don't know. I mean, I've, I've got a brother. We don't know, but we do know that his older brothers grew horribly jealous of him. And they took his coat, you know the story, many of you do. They sold him as a slave and then rigged it to look like he had been killed by wild animals. And if that wasn't bad enough, this is a guy who had a promise that he would be a ruler. He goes to the palace and starts working his way up the system, right? And then he gets near the top and he's falsely accused of a crime he did not commit and spends 14 years in prison. This is a guy who had a promise given to him by God. We must hold strong. Moses, 40 years he spent in the wilderness. He had run from God. He had thought that his life was over. His usefulness was over. 40 years he did that. But God still made him a strong leader. Noah, think about how long he built that ark. Can you imagine if he, if he had teenage kids, all the eye rolling that went on? They'd have a friend over and say, like, what is this your dad's been doing all this time? He's building an ark. What's an ark, dude? Well, it's a, it's a giant boat. Why does it need a giant boat? Well, for the flood. What's a flood? Well, that's what happens when all the torrential rain, okay. What's rain? Your dad's really weird, I know. I'm sure that kind of happened. That's my paraphrased version of the Bible. 
And not the first or last time that a teenager thought parents were weird, sure. But we must keep moving forward. God waited thousands of years after the fall to bring the Messiah. And even after it was prophesied, he waited hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. In the New Testament, Paul, in the waiting, he knew that he had a call. So many of the letters that he wrote, as we know, were in trials and tribulations. He wrote things in prison. Even on his deathbed, he was still raising up young leaders like Timothy. God's word is filled with wonderful examples that we can be inspired from when we're in the waiting. We can draw strength from it. But here's the really good news. There are folks in this room with you right here today with stories who can say, what you're going through, I've been there. I can give you some of the insights that I learned. Let's walk through this together. Don't let yourself get isolated. And then number five, remember God always keeps his promises. This is the main theme of this sermon. God always keeps his promises. Now, I might fail you. I wouldn't do it on purpose, but I very well might fail you. And the person sitting beside you, they might fail you, but God will never fail. Habakkuk 2.3 says, God says, at the time I have decided, my words will come true. You can trust what I say about the future. It may take a long time, but keep on waiting. It will happen. Put that on your refrigerator. It may take a long time, but keep on waiting. It will happen if God promised you. God's working on us a lot of the times while he's working on the problem. Joshua 23, 14. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. What a testimony. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What we need to learn to do, and this is not our natural human approach to this, but we have to, rather than look at the possibilities, the probabilities of failure, we have to look at the possibilities of what God can do. God always keeps his promises. Now, if you're following along with your green card there, if you flip it over, there's not a front and a back. It's uh, this side and uh, that side. The second big question, things that I need to remember when I'm in the waiting, this is what do I need to do when I'm in the waiting? There are four things that I've put into an acrostic they call it, that spells the word wait. Some people think that's cheesy. Other people are like, well, I'm just going to remember it because you did this. So take it or leave it. We've got one. <laughs> the word wait, W-A-I-T. The W stands for write down the lessons I'm learning. Waiting always brings us a season of listening and learning. Write it down. Record it. As you hear or discern from God and learn from him, document it. This is so important. Numbers 33 and 2. 
At the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress. He was assigned to do this, keep up with it for the future. While the seed of this dream is in the ground and it's preparing to spring forth and God has your attention, he's growing you. This one was hard to write down and it's hard to say, but God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. I'm gonna say it again. God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. Being a Christian sometimes requires us to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's just that simple. And as with Moses and and God's chosen people, we realize that very often there is a desert and there is a wilderness on your way to the promised land. You know, just as a straight line and even with with the hundreds of thousands of people he had, if Moses and God's chosen people could have taken a straight line, they would have made it in months. But God taught them some of it was their own fault, some of it was just God. Forty years they meandered through. Deuteronomy 11.2, remember what you have learned about the Lord through your experiences with him. Here's what we do. I've done this before. We get through the hard times. And then when we get to the other side, we don't even want to think about that anymore. We just want to be done with it. But you learn valuable lessons back here. And if you don't document it, write it down, then you're not going to remember it. And here's the beautiful thing. Can you imagine if you started a journal, even generations down the road, they can look back. Your grandchildren, great-grandchildren can see the faithfulness of God through grandpa grandma. So important. Have you ever journaled? It's the thing that used to be more than it is now. I think it's important for us to do this. Uh, If you haven't done it and you're going through a trial, I would uh, call on you to try it. Now, a journal is not a hashtag. It is not an Instagram picture of the best mocha frappuccino ever. It's not even, we went to Destin and had a wonderful week. That's a diary, that's social media. Now you may be a blogger, and if you blog these meaningful things, then that works as a journal, that's a, a record. It's not necessarily what we do, the details, but it's the lessons that we've learned. And it can be good things, it can be bad things. It's the lessons learned. Believe me, little lessons you learn now, if you have that, down the road, it will lead you to bigger successes. I have an example that I want to tell carefully because there may be folks back home watching. (laughs) When I was in college, I was really green and uh, I won't say it was a church, I'll just say an organization that I took a part-time job helping with the music. And it went great. People loved me, I loved them. We were cruising along fine, and a new leader came in who wanted somebody else and not me. But the people really liked me, and I liked the people. But I found out really quickly that I was being set traps here and there. Every chance to make me look bad. There was even a board meeting that I was called into with my little part-time job 
and handed a list of five things. Just, I was allowed just to step in the door and given five things. And they said, is this your job description as you understand it? And I said, yes. And I looked up and was bright enough, I guess, to see the sun shining through. And the leader was holding a lot more ink than I was holding. And so I stepped up to one of the board members and I looked and they were looking at 12 things for me to do, but I had been given five things to do. You see, if I had just innocently wandered in and wandered back, I would have signed up in their eyes for a full-time job with almost no pay. I learned from that. It wasn't the biggest deal ever, but I learned some important lessons about how to protect myself, how to hold my own integrity against being treated that way. And 15 years later, in Nashville, the stakes were 10 times higher, infinitely higher. The biggest account I had ever had before, a new leader came in. He was the same type person. And see, the insights that I had learned before, the little lessons that I had learned, and I kept scoring my mind, God allowed me to get through that extremely horrible stretch later on. Pray this prayer of Psalm 119.33. It says, God, teach me lessons for living so I can stay the course. Psalm 19.33. The A from weight. Act as though I already have it. This is all about one little word, faith. You planted the seed. You feel like God has given you a calling or he's given you a promise. And as you wait, we are to have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, this is a whole can of worms I know. It gets misused some. I'm not saying that this verse is a blank check. You can have anything you say, Lord, I want that. That's not what this is about. It's about believing a promise now, even before it comes. If you wait till it happened, that's not faith, that's gratitude. That's saying, thank you, Lord, for what you did. What we are to do is to thank him before it happens, that's faith. Romans 4, 17, God calls things that are not as though they were. Did you hear that? He's calling things that are not yet as if they already are, because to him, they are. I think about Genesis 17. God changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham before he and Sarah ever had this child. He named him father of many nations. Can you imagine in that time right before Abraham goes and he, meet, he probably didn't even want to meet somebody new. Hi, my name's Abraham. That means father of many nations, right? Yep, yeah, it does. So you must have a huge family. No, not really, not at all, yeah. How old are you? 99. Can you imagine how people thought, thought he was just delusional? But then it did happen. Gideon. God did not say when you stop being weak and stop being a coward, somewhere down the line, I am going to make you a man of great valor. God said, right here, right now, you are a man of great valor. Matthew 6, 16, 13 through 19. Peter. Now he was impulsive. He was undependable. 
We know him. He was just all over the place. And Jesus said, Peter, you are a rock. He didn't say, if you can get your act together and quit blowing up, somewhere down the line, once you've built the church, you will win that decree of being called Petra the rock. No, Jesus said, you are the rock. Had a very interesting story with this. In 2014, on just a random October Sunday, I had been missions director at, at the church where I came from, and it made it very clear. I had said to the pastor, I said, do I need to be ordained to run the missions department? And very wisely, he said, only get ordained if God calls you. You can still be a lay leader and lead world missions out of this church. The person before me had done it faithfully for 20 years. And on a random Sunday morning in October, they were talking about some of the new changes that had been in the church, some new leaders. And then the lady that was talking, she said, and of course, uh, now heading up our missions is Pastor Russell Malden. And I just kind of chuckled because we had just been through all this, you know, but she said, and I was like, she misspoke saying pastor. And just like that, the spirit said she did not misspeak. You are a pastor. And in that moment, God made me a pastor. He made me a shepherd and gave me a shepherd's heart. That was in October. You move forward to March, I was on a mission trip with some wonderful folks down to Haiti. We had been a couple times. And there was a church of well over a thousand. We were doing construction work. They had a brand new church that they weren't in yet. And I was just shellacking church pews for a week. I was doing this for a week. We would get together at seven, uh, maybe 25 of us. It was half Americans, half Haitian workers, and this amazing leader. And he came to me on the Thursday morning, and he said, Russell, I found out that my mentor back in the States, this man was not only my spiritual mentor, but he was the only father I knew. I found out that he's gravely ill and he's going to die before I can get back there, and my heart is just broken. Will you preach for us this Sunday in front of a 1,000 Haitian people? And it wasn't that I was afraid. I, I honored and respected my calling, and I said, well, brother, I, I don't think I should because I'm not ordained yet. And it just wouldn't be right to, to start preaching until I have that ordination and education. He said, well, okay. And so we prayed. We held hands. I had a little, little testimony time. <clears throat> and as we were praying, half in our language and half in theirs, I literally felt the Spirit say, you are supposed to preach Sunday. You're supposed to preach from Colossians. Go find the Bible that you brought. And I grabbed a Bible off the shelf as we were leaving. It was not my usual Bible. And as I opened that thing to Colossians, one of my first seminary courses, we had exegeted that entire passage. God had written that sermon for me six months earlier, and I had that Bible, and as I opened it up, you see, God had already made me my calling before I had the papers, before I had completed the education. He said, you are a pastor. And my very first sermon ever was to a thousand Haitians with a translator, and then my second sermon was in Ireland a few months later, 
on a construction mission trip there. And then my third sermon was actually in Costa Rica. It took me a long time doing a world tour before I ever got back to America. <laughs> but then finally I was able to preach in America. God had called me a pastor even before I felt I was ready. So if you have a promise, that's the point of this section. Act as though you already have it. If God has given it to you, act as though you already have it. And then the I in wait. Imitate the habits that grow strong faith. Now earlier we talked about remembering testimonies, and this is a lot like that, except this says to imitate those testimonies. If you know somebody who is a godly person and you're going through a trial, don't get isolated. That is a new point that has come up just this morning. Don't allow yourself to get isolated. Come along, find somebody. It will help you to mature. The time we spend, we don't need to wallow in our doubt and our fear. Philippians 4 and 9, Paul says, keep on putting into practice all you learned from me and heard from me and saw me do. We are to imitate things that we know will work in the waiting. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. When you hear someone, had the conversation with uh, Jeff just last night about record producing. I didn't have the answer to it, but just that I had said to him, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been there. That alone was some comfort to him, even though I couldn't give him the perfect answer of what would fix the problem. It's the same way with our faith. I challenge you, friends, to find someone to come alongside. This is a time of development. It's a time of growing. It is not a time of inactivity. Please, if you just freeze and, and get paralyzed and don't push forward, then it's going to really make you vulnerable. So do these things. Matthew 7, 7 says, keep on praying. These are the things we're going to do to keep moving. Keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Matthew 7 and 7. Keep on serving. Now, this is an interesting word. There are two meanings to this word, you know. I've always thought it was interesting. When we're in a restaurant, you have a waiter, right? But you're waiting too. It's like we're sitting here waiting for you, and you're waiting on us. Well, those are the two different meanings of that word. One meaning of wait is to anticipate, you know, to, to assume something is coming, that anticipation. But then the other is to serve. So do both. When you're waiting for an answer from God, serve. That keeps your mind and your heart busy and in the work of God. And then most importantly here, interacting. Hebrews 10, 25. You really, really need to interact with others in this season. It keeps you from getting picked off by the enemy. And then keep on believing. The main point of this whole section, stay active, stay in the word, pray, and move forward with other people around you. And then the last letter is T. Trust God instead of panicking. When we can't control it, you like me? If I can't control it, can't really predict with, with some control, what's our human nature? 
We get anxious. We get a little bit scared. We don't trust. But we have to trust God instead of panicking. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then Isaiah 41, 10. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A couple of facts that it boils down to, friends. This is just plain talking. First of all, God is not in a hurry just because I'm in a hurry. That doesn't resonate with him. He may hear it, but he knows more than I do about it. Secondly, he's never late. He has his schedule. He has his timing. He knows what he's doing. And whether I get antsy and panicky, he still knows what he is doing. I'm reminded of the beautiful story of John 11, uh, 1 through 44. It's the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You know, these three... They were dear friends with Jesus. And they lived a couple of miles out of Jerusalem in Bethany. And that was kind of his home away from home. He could, literally, he could show up at any time. That was one of the, the fights that Mary and Martha had, if you remember. Jesus just shows up with his entourage. And Martha's like, okay, we gotta get this going here. And Mary's like, over with Jesus. That's another sermon. But there was a time that the dear friend of Jesus, Lazarus, was deathly ill. And so they sent into Jerusalem, two miles away, they sent for Jesus. Jesus, come pray for Lazarus. He is horribly sick. They thought it could take a couple hours. You know, if you're in a hurry, you can get two miles pretty fast. He took days. And by the time he got there, they were in such despair. Yes, they were grieving that their brother had died, but also they were frustrated. It was like, Lord, we've seen you perform miracles. You can do great things if you had just made it in time, but you missed the window because our brother is dead. We've already wrapped him up and put him in a tomb. It is over. But he already knew what he was going to do. He was not late because Jesus was not planning to heal his dear friend from a sickness. He was planning to raise him from the dead. So he wasn't late. They were frustrated and they panicked and we can understand so. But what I have to learn to say and I have to tell myself this constantly, my timing's not your timing, Lord, and I will trust you. I'm not gonna fall into despair I'm not going to fall into darkness. I will trust you. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. I want today, this is our last Sunday before the new year. And I want our prayer team, they'll, they'll be over here. And I want this to be a time that you can either reflect on where you are, what God would have you do in the coming year, or if you genuinely have some serious, serious problems that you want to just have someone share with you 
those four things again. Lord, I will write down the lessons I'm learning. I will act in faith as though I already have the answer. I will imitate the proven habits that grow strong faith. And I will trust you instead of panicking. You see the picture up there? You're not going to believe this, but I was raised in South Carolina and we didn't have a lot of bamboo. But I was on a vacation. My wonderful family took me to an exotic place in October where there's lots of bamboo. And so I'm just curious. I got to know some amazing things about Chinese bamboo. Now there's all kinds. They're in lots of different kinds of bamboo. But this particular one, what you do is cut about this much off and then you slice it down the middle and you plant that, that shaft. And then you take care of it, fertilize it, water it, tend it. And not one year, not two, not three, not four, but five years later, you still don't see anything. And then after five years and about six weeks, it shoots up like that. In six weeks, 80 to 90 feet. Now, if you've done that, and about the third year, you give up on it, it's not going to happen. And if you've done it for four and a half years, and that nosy neighbor guy across the street is standing in his window every morning, judging you while you're watering this piece of ground that is nothing yet, you're going to be discouraged. And we might say that it takes five years for it to grow. That's not true. It's been growing the whole time. You see, for it to withstand 90 feet with the, with the leaves on top of it, for five years it grows roots. They go deep. They grow strong. So while we didn't see the growth for five years, it was still happening. And so after five years, it's able to stand strong because it was growing the whole time. I'm going to have them sing just a couple verses of Be Thou My Vision. It's my favorite song. I want this at my funeral? Not, not anytime soon, of course, but I just love this song. And so let this be our prayer. If you want to come pray with some folks, please do. Otherwise, just have a time of reflection as we sing Be Thou My Vision. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.